Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the kids are not all right edition. This week, we're talking about the rise in chronic absenteeism and what that means for students and the economy. When our two candidates for U.S. Senate will finally debate why Ohio pulled the plug, at least temporarily, on its overhaul of unemployment and how a promise for policing reform petered out. Joining me this week is reporter Laura Bischoff. Welcome back. Hey, Anna. And before I get started, I have the question that has been buzzing around our newsroom. Are you watching Devil in Ohio or Dahmer on Netflix? I started watching Devil in Ohio and it was just a little too weird for me. So I stopped and Jeffrey Dahmer, I remember like reading that story and covering some local angles on it when I was in Michigan. So it just is too creepy for me to want to watch it. That is fair. I'm two episodes into Devil in Ohio, and it's definitely got that like horror, slightly supernatural vibe to it. So that's yeah, Mino like not necessarily everyone's cup of tea. It's less true crime, more speculative fiction, in my opinion. But our first topic is Ohio's students and how they continue to miss class even as the pandemic appears to be winding down. The new numbers for the 2021-2022 academic year showed that 30%, nearly one in three students, was chronically absent, and the numbers are way different too, depending on what school you go to and what your background is. So 24% of white children were chronically absent, but almost 50% of black children were chronically absent, 44% of those economically disadvantaged. And the one that kind of guts me is 40% of students with learning disabilities. Like, the kids that perhaps are the most vulnerable in our system. Yeah, these numbers are really shocking to me. And the concern is, is this going to leave kids behind and it's going to drive up the achievement gap um, where economically disadvantaged kids do worse than those with economic advantages, uh, which often lie along racial lines. It's already atrocious and it's going to likely get even wider because of these absenteeism numbers. Yeah, and when you combine that with statewide student test scores, what you kind of see in terms of learning loss is that uh, large urban districts, which have a lot of economically disadvantaged and minority children that were mostly remote during the pandemic, saw the biggest drops in learning loss. And while everybody is making up some, they weren't making up more sort of to compensate. Does that make a sense? They fell further, but they haven't recovered to make that up. So that like newly widened gap persists in the data. Yeah. Why is this happening anyway? I mean, I guess I I could see it during COVID, a lot of struggles there, but why do you think this is happening now? I think there's a lot of reasons. And in talking to folks, um, they think some bad habits were started during COVID and getting those kids back on track is harder. Like if you missed 25% of the school year in 2020, 2021, getting you back into class every day the following year is challenging. They think, you know, with labor shortages and high wages, some high school students, especially those from families who might not have stable housing or stable food supply are working more and choosing to do so for that reason. They also, you know, we have gotten more strict as the pandemic has wound down on how we to mark students present. So if you look at 2019-2020, those are really low absentee numbers. And it's because schools got a lot of slack. So we're back 
if that makes sense to not giving them slack. Yeah. Attendance will be taken yeah. in a serious <laughs> manner. Yeah. It used to be like if you logged in for like just a second, you were considered present, you know, during online class in the, in the height of the pandemic. And now there's like more verification to make like make sure students are actually there. And I do think, you know, if you were out of school for a year or two or you missed like a substantial amount of school, like it probably is really hard to get you back in. Have the lawmakers or the governor's office and Department of Education, have they talked at all about what the solution is? Oh, there's all kinds of ideas and theories. Um, and we have all kinds of federal dollars, <laughs> right? We have money and ideas. The one that I think is most interesting is this idea of providing low cost or no cost tutors. The idea is rather than pulling kids like out of class is like to keep them in their class and then have them work with a tutor who gets them caught up to where the class is at and helps them get through it. And there's a lot of evidence that that one on one connection can really help. Obviously, that can be really expensive, but that's kind of what the ESSER dollars are for. Right. It, the, the one problem you'd run into with that, though, again, is the labor shortage and trying to find um, tutors who can who can do that one on one work. Yeah. Our second topic is the U.S. Senate race here in Ohio. Republican J.D. Vance and Democrat Tim Ryan have finally agreed to two debates in October. One will be on the 10th with Fox 8 Cleveland, and the other will be on the 17th at Stamball Auditorium in Youngstown. So both in Northeast Ohio, both in October. But I mean, we got them. This put an end to that back and forth, will they, won't lay negotiations. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, the poll that USA Today and Suffolk University did recently showed that 84% of likely voters want candidates to, to debate. I think that number would probably be a lower percentage if they were actually required to watch the debates. <laughs> but, um, you know, this is an opportunity for um, the candidates to answer unscripted questions and show how they can think on their feet, although they, they do do a lot of prep for it. Yeah. And it, it gives voters a chance to see who they are. I mean, it's a really great way if you don't know a lot about the candidates. Like, let's be honest, not everybody is like reading every article, following the race super close like we do. You know, it gives them an opportunity to see their can their candidates, like get a sense of who they are, how they speak, how they carry themselves. How they treat one another as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, to, uh, a debate that's not going to be happening is between uh, Republican Governor Mike DeWine and his Democratic challenger, Nan Whaley. Um, what's interesting about that is I think it's a really cautious move on, De on DeWine's part. He's the one who says he, does, he just wanted a debate, but he's up in the polls by double digits. And a debate also represents an opportunity for unforced errors. And, yeah. you know, there's a reason why DeWine has only lost one race in his 45 year political career. You know, he's, he's playing it smart. Our third topic is unemployment. If you lived through the pandemic in Ohio, then you probably experienced or know someone who experienced the hot mess that was the unemployment compensation system. The website crashed, wait times were insane, hundreds of millions of dollars in fraudulent payments went out the door. It was a mess. Yeah, absolutely terrible. And the state, like actually even before the pandemic, the state was looking to upgrade and modernize its systems. And they hired a company called Sagitech Solutions to fix that, like modernize the computers, the website, their processes. And all was going well until two partners from that Sagitech firm, well, they got charged with federal crimes for allegedly stealing trade secrets from their last employer. So federal prosecutors claim two men took information from a company called Deloitte and used that to win. And unemployment contracts in West Virginia and Maryland. And while Ohio hasn't been named in the case yet, folks here were like, let's just press pause. 
Yeah, Ohio put a pin in, in this overhaul project, which began back in 2018 before the pandemic, with an $86 million contract to that to Yeah, that it's not some change. Right. And, and actually, they were supposed to finish up the project um, this year, um, or I'm sorry, late late next year. You know, you're right, though. Aside from like the IT guts of the system being overhauled, the unemployment compensation fund is has got all kinds of problems. It's chronically underfunded. So there's too much in benefits being paid out and not enough uh, t- collected in taxes coming in. And that leads to it going broke in economic downturns. And a fix for that has been elusive in for Ohio politicians for a really long time. And uh, like you said, it also got hit with historic levels of claims during the pandemic and historic levels of fraud. <laughs> I think the last, good. Yeah, the last count I had was uh, Ohio shelled out $3.4 billion in overpayments and about $500 million in fraudulent payments. And that was just for spring of 2020 to summer of 2021. Yeah, it's it's definitely a part of our government that we need to get fixed. In fact, actually, we took out a loan from the federal government during the pandemic because we did not have the money to pay all the unemployment claims. And then we used the federal like ARPA dollars to pay it back. It's actually the biggest amount of money the state of Ohio has spent of the federal COVID relief dollars was paying back a federal loan, which is like weird, right? We borrowed from the feds and then we gave them their money back. Right. And this is not the first time that Ohio had to borrow money to bail out the unemployment compensation fund. I think it happened uh, during like the 2008 economic uh, yeah, crisis. Yeah, I think you're right. It's The fixes to the system have been a long time coming. We can just leave it at that. And they're going to be a little longer now. Exactly. Our fourth and final topic is police reform, or more precisely, the lack of police reform. Ohio Republicans have been promising to change some of the rules and training for officers across the state since George Floyd was murdered in the summer of 2020. But as Laura reported this week, a key Republican in charge of that effort says it's dead, meaning it won't happen before this General Assembly ends in December. You know, it's really strange about this is that following the Floyd death in May of 2020, uh, the governor came out with a package of reforms that he wanted to see passed, you know, pretty quickly, uh, banning chokeholds, independent investigations for officer-involved shootings, requiring recruits to pass psychological tests, professional licensing system for, for police officers, and a statewide database of discipline issues. And the promise of the bill was pretty clear that Cindy Abrams, a Cincinnati area Republican and a former police officer, and Phil Plummer, the former sheriff of uh, Montgomery County, that they were going to co-sponsor a bill. It never came forward. And Abrams met with the um, the Inquirer's uh, editorial board this week on a separate issue on, on state issue one, uh, and was talking about that. And I asked her, you know, what's going on with police reform? And she said, it's, it's not going to happen this year. And instead, next year, the focus is going to be on Finding state funding for ongoing police officer training that I think only I think only half of the training has been has been funded. And I did hear from uh, Attorney General Dave Yost that that also is a is a key issue for him is to find the state funding for ongoing training. Yeah, it's such a like these reforms don't seem, you know, in terms of like if you have like no reforms on one side and say like the full like let's defund the police on the other like these are very modest and moderate reforms they're sort of not like DeWine is calling for like more training and you know a database uh, for misconduct so like you know if an officer has you know a series of problems in one department he can't pack up and move to another like or he could pack up and move to another but it's a public record that he that that officer left because of discipline problems right and uh 
you know, transparency. Teachers have that, right? right? Like the idea is to, so that they can't move districts without, without you knowing what you're getting. Right. So, I mean, as reporters, we're in favor of more public records and more transparency. Um, <laughs> That's but, true. Uh, th- this is remains to be seen how it's all going to shake out. Yeah, and because and so when the general assembly ends, like if folks don't know, that means that this bill goes away. And if they want to introduce it, it's got to start all over again from the beginning. Like no matter where it was at, we start back from square one. But let's remember, the bill never got introduced. That's fair. So there's a, it's there's not really anywhere to start. Again. (laughs) Exactly. And one more thing before you go. Uh, The federal trial into how a far-right militia group called the Oath Keepers attacked the U.S. Capitol started this week, and one of the defendants is from Ohio. Her name is Jessica Watkins. She's from Champaign County, and she's accused of organizing an Ohio-based effort to breach the Capitol on January 6th. But keep in mind, um, as she goes through this trial, Watkins told a judge that she renounced the Oath Keepers and was embarrassed by her actions, saying that she did it out of love of country, but she thinks it's time to let all of that go. So I don't know whether that will make a difference in her trial. And I just think it'll be really interesting to see, like, for me, like, who actually ends up convicted, what actually their sentencing is. Like, will anyone actually serve jail time for this? I don't know. I don't know. But saying you're sorry ahead of time for a crime, you know, it's like robbing a bank and then later saying, you know what, I'm really sorry I robbed that bank and I found a different source of money. And, you know, (laughs) let's just uh, let's just move on. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Telegraph Forum in Bucyrus. Their website is bucyrustelegraphforum.com. That's B-U-C-Y-R-U-S, telegraphforum.com. Telegraph Forum.com.